are grateful for that. Amen. You know, uh, I don't want to criticize an individual person, but what is said, I want to take the task in a sense. Uh, this was said this week in the kind of uh, uh, Dr. Ken Ham responded to it. And so if it bothered him, it should bother people uh, because there are so many young people that are leaving the church today because they go to off to college and they begin to hear uh, liberal professors and things like that, and they begin to change their thoughts about God, about creation, and things like this. So I have this little clip. It's just a couple minutes, so it's real short. And uh, I want you to hear the words that's being said here. It's, it's very important. So, fellas, if you dim the lights down up here, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. And then show that little clip. There is no necessary conflict between evolution and theism because evolution is a means Theism says there was an agent. There, I have one high school biology teacher, Christian here. It's like, please, would somebody make this clear? I know this is like really important because people come home, kids come home from biology class, high school, like, well, you know, what evolution, no, we don't believe in evolution, we believe in creation. Wait, 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 hey, hang on. This is very important. The Genesis account of creation, the point of that isn't here's how God did it. The point of that is that God did it. And the reason we know that is because it stood in stark contrast to the Sumerian and the Babylonian and the Canaanite and the Egyptian creation myths. And in all of their myths, the gods just sort of appeared magically out of nowhere or they created themselves or they created each other. And then Yahweh says, hang on, uh-uh, I created it all out of nothing. I didn't use body parts, okay? I didn't, you know, split, you know, Tiamat in half and their lower half became the earth and the upper half became the heavens. I mean, that's foolishness. There's one God, I'm God, I did it. That's the point of the Genesis creation count. Now, this is important. God, as a heavenly father, does something for you and does something for every generation from the beginning that we should be so grateful for. And if you're a parent, you do this as well. You know what God does? God accommodates to our capacity. Hello. God accommodates to our capacity. Where do babies come from? It depends on who's asking, doesn't it? And you didn't lie to your five-year-old when she asked, and you didn't lie to your 15-year-old when he asked, and when a high school biology student studies reproductive you know, science, the teacher isn't lying. You, we never lie. We change the answer. Why? Because we're lying? No, because we're accommodating to a person's capacity. So come on, what was the capacity of ancient, 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 ancient slave culture Hebrews. It, was there any way in the world God could explain to them how he did it? No. Yeah. He, he wrote down what we, our capacity. Isn't that amazing? So the title of my message this morning is not title, but I say don't be fooled or pressured to follow unbelieving teachers or compromising Christians. My title is Just Trust God's Word. Just Trust God's Word. Uh, you know, he was uh, 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 promoting there, uh, God created, but he used evolution through all the years. That's what he was saying. And then he said ancient man didn't have the capacity to listen to what God said. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Uh, boy, that's tough. Uh, 
It's really interesting to me. And uh, anyway, uh, the reason this is so important is the fact that a lot of our young people and people in general, uh, they're giving up on Christianity because they think science is correct instead of what the Bible says in Genesis. Now, there are two answers I wrote down here real fast. One is Christianity, Christianity's compromise. Christianity's compromise. You know, uh, there are a lot of churches that they tried to be accepted by society and culture today, and so they are going back reinterpreting portions of Scripture so that they will fit in and not be canceled out themselves. And in a sense, that is a spiritual apostasy of leaving the truth of what God's word says. That's one reason. Another reason is, is the indoctrination of our educational system and the media's support. Now, let me say something before I go any further, is that uh, we have some wonderful teachers uh, that go to our church, and they teach in a public school setting, and you need to really pray for that. And uh, they're being, they, if they haven't yet, they will be, we know, bombarded by what they will have to be teaching down the road. And just pray that God would put a hedge about them and they would be strong and take their stands when that time comes. But we're grateful for our teachers. Now, most are saturated with Satan's, I call it evil, evolutionary philosophy. That's microbe to a man as being fact. We're being taught that humans are animals that have evolved from some sea creature or some rock or some slimy soup millions of years ago. Our society repeatedly is saying that evolution is science. Uh, you watch the Discovery Channel and they say millions of years as if it's just fact of what they're saying. And it is not fact at all. Today, young people grow up in a technological advancing age, and that's real science that they respect. But sadly, most don't realize or understanding that evolution is not science. Did you hear that? Evolution is not science. It's a naturalistic, humanistic faith that comes to the conclusion that man does not need God. And when men or nations turn their back on God, God says in Psalm 9:17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. God's serious about this. They're taught in astronomy. They're taught the solar system formed itself from a big bang or a dust cloud. But when I read my Bible, Genesis 1.1 says this, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He says in Psalm 8.3, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, I think it's pretty simple that God's the one who started, created, and follows through with all of this. Then in geology, they're taught the earth is millions and billions of years old. The fossil record, they say, is the history of evolution's life. And once again, we disagree. Most of the fossil records are the direct result 
of the worldwide flood. And when that took place, that put the fossil record down and gives us a younger earth. Genesis 1.31 is pretty clear. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning, that's a day, were the sixth day. Exodus 20, verse 11 says this, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Six literal 24-hour period days, God created everything that we see. In biology, they're shown pictures of ape men considered to be our ancestors. Now, I know some people look like them. <laughs> but it's been proven that the Nebraska man, the Piltdown man, the Neanderthal, the Java man, Peking man, and Lucy the female are untrue in how and what they say about them. They try to use them to say the earth is older. Matter of fact, those that I just mentioned are actually hoaxes, and we've proven that before. God says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. We know that man and woman is the result of God's direct creation. Also, they say in history, they're taught that primitive man, that's what he was saying, primitive man went through the Stone Age and is progressing upward and onwardly up the evolutionary ladder. But my Bible tells me that because man sinned, there was a curse upon sin and the earth. And as a result of that, we are spiraling downward, not upward. Amen? And by the way, he was saying ancient man and man and back then and back then. Adam was very intelligent. He, the sin seed had not so corrupted him as much at that time. If ever there was the smartest man... I go back to Adam because of the sin seed and gene. Genesis 2, 19, 20. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And, and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name. Isn't that amazing? And Adam gave names to all cattle, to all fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him at that moment. But now listen, how in the world could you have a brain like that to be able to name all of the animals? He wasn't in a stone age, okay? He wasn't back there primitive. He was smart, intelligent, and wise in this. Then here's the story, Genesis 2:17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat it, 
For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There was the test. Would Adam be obedient or disobedient? Would he yield in grace or would he rebel and go on sin? Well, we know the story, don't we? Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered to the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's the first man. Adam sinned. And as a result of that, mankind, we die. Now they try to guess the present about the past. Nobody was there except for one person. And one person was God. He was there when it was all created. Don't you think he would have the, the correct interpretation of all of that? Job 38, verse 3. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. We know where God was. He's the one who did it. And he's the only one who can give us that correct history record. Our society and students are being indoctrinated with false opinions that lost man really wants to believe. And there's a reason for that. John 3.19 says this here. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Man wants to go on because his deeds are evil. Man wants to go on and commit his sinful acts without any accountability to Almighty God. He doesn't want God to exist or tell him how he is to live his life. They get most, even Christian students, to think evolution is science. So Genesis then can't be true, they think. And their conclusion, if Genesis can't be trusted, why should we trust any of the rest of the Bible? So they exclude God, the gospel, from their life. My answer is on several views here. Many professors and media say, I don't believe God in God's existence. How can you know for sure? Well, you can go to science, observable science, intuitive, consciousness, design and order, structure. You can go to all of those things, but it's very, very simple for simple, common people. The Word of God says He exists. Amen? It's just that simple. And by the way, we know God exists also because God one day became flesh and dwelt among us, and the disciples beheld His glory. God came to earth in human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is God. So yes, God does exist. If one says this, there's no God because there are no absolute truth. If they are so certain there's no absolute truth, why should we believe their viewpoint? If truth is unknowable as they proclaim, then why would we believe their position that they're stating? If there's no absolute truth as the atheists and evolutionary professors asserts, doesn't that statement itself become untruth also? 
But let me tell you this morning, there is absolute truth. The word of God. The Bible states in Isaiah chapter 30 verse 8. Now go write it before them in a table and note it in book that, that it may be for the time to come and forever and ever. He states in Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Matthew 24, 35 says this, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Not only is it absolute, but it's eternal. Now here's the question for compromising so-called Christians. If Genesis is not true, when does God begin to tell the truth? And who decides that? That's a problem, is it not? A reason Genesis is so attacked, we know because of the God of this world, the world lies in wickedness. We understand. His influence is the whole world. We understand that. But Genesis is attacked because it's the foundation for the fall of man. How could we tell one the reason they're a sinner without a real, literal Adam fall sin and death as believers we understand the gospel the good news first corinthians 15 you know it well verse 1 says this here moreover brethren i declare unto you the gospel which i preach unto you which also you have received and wherein you stand verse 3 for I delivered unto you, first of all, how that I also received, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel. Death, burial, resurrection of Christ. You have to have faith in that to be saved. Okay? But then he goes on to state in verse 21. For since by man, came death. Who is that man? Adam. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Then verse 45 says this here, and so it is written, the first man Adam made a, was made a living soul, and the last Adam, Christ, was made a quickening spirit. Now, don't miss this. Paul explains in those verses we just read why Christ died. And he explained it by going back to a literal Genesis and Genesis account of Adam's fall. Why would he go back there if it were not true? Amen? And now that was a better statement than you're responding. You need to say amen every now and then. In other words, one cannot understand the good news until they understand the bad news of Genesis 3, the fall, the reason we are sinners, the consequences of sin, its penalty and death. When Adam ate that, from that moment on, also him, they die physically. Hebrews 9.27 says this, and it is appointed unto men once to die. He became dead spiritually in his relationship with God until God made a sacrifice for him. It states in 1 Corinthians 2.14, 
but the natural man, the lost man, has never been saved, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them. Maybe that's why they reject Genesis' account all the time. Amen? And by the way, we live eternally, but if you're lost, it's different than being saved. Matthew 25, 46 says this, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, the lost, but the righteous into life eternal. What a difference. Some people say, well, Genesis is not literally essential. Only Jesus dying on the cross is essential to Christianity. And our question would be this here. Why did Jesus die on the cross? They say, well, for our sin. What do you mean by sin? They say, rebellion. We say, how did you come to define sin as rebellion? What's your basis for that? You see, the meaning of anything like sin is dependent upon its origin. You can't define sin truthfully without the origin of the fall in Genesis. You see, the literal sinful rebellion by Adam as recorded in Genesis 3 is the foundation necessary to understand the beginning of sin and the meaning of sin. The reason we are sinners is we're descendants of that first literal man, Adam. Adam, who was in a literal garden, literal tree, literal fruit, serpent, he fell, sin, and literal consequences. That sin was placed then in Adam in his DNA, and he passed his DNA onto his descendants, onto their descendants onto your parents, onto you, and you to your children, and on and on it goes. We are born sinners. You don't have to tell somebody to sin. <laughs> they just automatically sin, don't they? Because we have that DNA in us, and we inherited it from the very beginning of Adam. If there was no literal fall, then what is sin. And who defines sin? Today's culture? God help us there. They don't know a lot. What then was Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, 22? For as in Adam all die. What in the world is he talking about then if Genesis is not true? What, what was he talking about Romans 5, 12? I mean, it's saying there about man, death entering in, death by sin. So when Paul quotes them, and Genesis is not real, what in the world is he talking about then? It would be crazy, isn't it? When we explain the gospel, it cannot be separated from Genesis, from Adam, the fall, sin, and its death. But also... In Genesis 3, God makes the world a promise. And I will put enmity between thee 
and the woman in between thy seed, the woman's seed, which would be Christ, and her seed. Or thy seed's the devil, I'm sorry, and her seed would be Christ. And it shall bruise thy head. That was a prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ. And if you don't accept Genesis, you remove many of the promises that Genesis has given us. Part of that promise is Romans 5 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It states in Romans 6 23, for the wages of sin is death, but because of this promise he made, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what an individual needs to do then is Romans 10 9, the application of it that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It means that I know I'm a sinner because of the literal fall. And I know that anything I do can't save me. You can't get righteousness out of sinful people. That's accepted before God. So as a result of that, what in the world do I do? God said, listen, here's what I've done for you. I sent my only son. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. And what he accomplished, it is finished once for all, one sacrifice for all time, his shed blood, his death, his resurrection. That work alone is enough to wash away all your sins and give you eternal life. All you need to do is not do but believe. You see, it's not just a head knowledge. Well, I know the Bible teaches. No, I come to a point, it's for me. That truth is for me. God, I believe. I believe that I can't save myself. I'm a sinner. But God, I believe your son is sufficient to make me one of your children. God, I believe in his work. I believe. And when you believe, from that moment, you pass from eternal death to eternal life. And I hope there's now nobody here this morning that walks out of here not believing that truthful, absolute message. And by the way, I'm coming down the stretch here now. And what that means is absolutely nothing. But <laughs> it sounds good to make you feel that I'm about done. And I am. As believers, we know what is absolute truth. And for believers to come and put question and doubt in people's mind concerning the scriptures is awful. We should never, ever doubt what God's word says. I might not understand it, but I know God doesn't lie. And I know the scriptures are given by inspiration of God and so I can trust it and I believe it even though I might not understand it all. I believe what he says is true. Here's absolute truth. And by the way, I don't apologize. I'm a King James Version man. Amen. I just am. And uh, I don't go for the other versions. I don't want to change anything. I believe it's for the English-speaking people. Now, if you don't agree with that, that's okay. God bless you, but you're wrong. Now, <laughs> amen. I believe in the absolute truth of our Bible 
Psalm 12, 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words as a silver try, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And thou shalt keep them, O Lord, he keeps them. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Isn't that something? He says about his word in Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. It's engraved in heaven. <laughs> because God holds his word so absolute, he even says in Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now think that through sometime. That's how much God thinks about his word. Now for us today, Hebrews 11.6 says this. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you want to please God, just believe him. Trust in his word. Have faith in him. Yeah, people are clamoring. They seem like, well, they are the experts. No, they're not. They're biased. God is the expert. Trust his word. And if I want to please God, I need to have faith. Well, how do I get faith? Romans 10, 17. Very simple. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That means I get around where I can hear people speak to me truth. That means that I read the truth. It means that I study the truth. We say rightly divided, properly, but we study it and it becomes a part of us. And then... In faith, we're pleasing God. Then when we come up against something that I don't understand all the ramifications, no problem. We just believe what God says. Hebrews 11.3 says this. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Out of nothing, he spoke his word and the word became matter, became his creation. Just by the greatness, the allness of all of his power, he speaks everything into existence. That's our God. That's why you should trust him. And the last verse is, Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Amen?
Those are great verses, aren't they? So I just say to you this morning, don't be hoodwinked. Don't be pressured. Don't be canceled out in your faith by what people are trying to say and you're bombarded with on TV and all these things. Just simply believe God's word. Trust in the word of God with your life and with your soul. Amen? Father, we love you. God, as these attacks come, even from good Christian people at times, it amazes us. Help us to hold fast the truth of your word. Help us not to waver, not to give up, not to be discouraged, but to know that your word is true. You can't lie. Your knowledge is so far ahead of us. Even when we don't understand it, we can believe what you said because you are absolute truth. And for our young people that are being indoctrinated, that are being attacked on their faith, may they stand strong. God, if they just stay in your word, believe in your word, pray, be around other Christians, hang in there, God, they'll stand because they'll have that strength of your word in them. So we pray for all of our people today. May we just trust in your word. In Jesus' name. We hope you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you visit with us in person. For more information, please visit our website at gpnd.net or contact us by phone at 317-535-3512. You can watch us live and view past services on our website, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Until next broadcast, may God richly bless you as our prayer.